We are in a series called Uniquely Luke. So this is supposed to be just parables, stories that are only in Luke's gospel. And so to be true to that, I had done Luke chapter 17, five through 10, all Uniquely Luke, and I had a sermon prepared. I had the whole thing done, but I just didn't feel right about it. And so it's Wednesday, it's the day that I'm supposed to be finishing up the sermon. And so I go to these commentaries. I go to commentary after commentary after commentary on these 10 verses, lots of different opinions. And I hit one and I'm like, oh my, I didn't know what this, I didn't know what this text meant. You can't do it without verses one through four. Verses one through four are in Matthew's gospel too. So it's not uniquely, uniquely Luke, but the part that is uniquely Luke, you can't understand it without those first four verses. So I had to literally delete the entire message and start over. Do you have any idea how hard that was to do? Um, So here we go, uniquely Luke, but bear with me in the first four verses. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for speaking. Lord, I know this is your message. certainly wasn't mine. Now would you come and preach it? Could I just be a vessel? Would you hide me behind the cross so that we can hear you, see you, and respond to you? God, we love you. Have your way in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is A Culture of Forgiveness. Point one is the roots of a mulberry tree. I want to read to you from the encyclopedia on the the roots of a mulberry tree. It grows, the mulberry tree grows quickly with roots that densely dominate the surrounding soil areas. These roots can cause foundation problems to whatever is planted nearby. Apparently, it does not penetrate foundations, but it so affects the surrounding soil of the foundation that the foundation will warp and buckle. So one of these trees is going to, it doesn't stay to itself. Its roots start moving and it it affects all the soil around it. And if there's anything built near one of these, it is going to erode its foundation. 
This is the mulberry tree. Some of the translations say sycamore tree. It's almost identical. It's about the root system. One grows 20 feet, the other grows 30 feet, but it's not about how high it grows. It's about its root system. The roots are very similar to a root of bitterness. This is Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So bitterness in the human spirit, it begins as unforgiveness, but when it is not taken care of, it is this root system that starts affecting other people. It starts defiling other people. When somebody has a bitter spirit, it starts poisoning even other people's foundations of their faith. It, it goes and, and they don't even have to do anything. Just as they live out their life, what is going on in them starts affecting everybody else. And it, it affects family, it affects friends, it affects the workplace, it affects the church. The, the, these roots of bitterness start spreading out and they start poisoning everything around them. Now, it's interesting with bitterness because there are, there's a spectrum of personalities uh, in the human race. Some people are very tough and some people are very tender. Jesus, of course, is perfectly tough and tender. He's, he is the perfect one. But we tend to go on the scale one side or the other. Now, tough people, their bitterness looks like anger. And they're angry and they do stuff out of anger and it causes abuse, it causes people to feel run over, it causes these causes anger wounds people. Tender people, when they get bitter, they they go the other way. They go into self self-pity. And they go into poor me, poor me, woe is me, and their abuse is, is different. It's still poisonous, but it's, it's different. Instead of actively abusing, they abuse by neglecting people because, because they no longer see anybody else. They can only see themselves. They're so caught in their own thing that things are happening around them and they can't love anybody else because they're all within themselves. And actually, the story right before this is the rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus, it is the sin of neglect. It is, Lazarus is right there. He, he needs help. He's suffering. But he can't see anybody else's cross. He can't see what other people are going through because it's all about him. It's all about his own thing. And so we've got this, this spectrum, and it causes sin. When you offend somebody else, when you hurt somebody else, it's not just that sin. It's now they go out and they sin against other people. And that's all on your account. Jesus said, listen, it would be better if you're going to offend one of these little ones, little ones there is both children and young Christians, that if you offend one of them and you choose to stay in your bitterness and you stay a better person, it'd be better if somebody put a millstone and you drowned in the sea, lest you multiply pain and sin in the human race and multiply your own judgment to yourself. If you're going to stay in bitterness, this, is, this would be better for you. So, I'm Irish. 
My personality is a very tough personality. I'm on the tough side of the spectrum. And so what naturally came to me growing up was anger. And I had, I had a horrible anger problem. In fact, my friends would, would like to goad me. I'm not sure if they're friends, but they would try to goad me because if, if they got me going, they called me Hulk. And no one wanted to be near me when I hulked because I was out of control. And, but something wonderful happened when I got saved. I, God just disarmed anger and anger was no longer part of my life. It was, it was just gone. And so what, what happened, and has happened since then, is when I go into bitterness, it's the self-pity side. It is, I will start rehearsing, I get very disappointed when people fail and they do stuff, and, and especially if it's leaders, and I, get, I just get disappointed, I get sad, and, and, uh, and you become preoccupied with yourself. And so... Recently, I'm in one of these little tiffs of self-pity and I'm driving and I don't see this guy who's walking, he's walking his dog and he's crossing the street. He's coming from that side and I don't see him and he is right there when I, when I pass him. So I stop and I roll down my window to say that I'm sorry and he swears at me. He used the Lord's name in vain. First thing I thought was, I hope he doesn't go to our church. <laughs> then I thought, this is not the last time that guy's going to sin today. Because of what I did, because he's angry, other people, he's going to take that anger out on other people. And that's all on me. It's all, it's all, it's all part of me because it was the sin of neglect. And so... This is the roots that go down, and it's what poisons the human race. So that's point one, the roots of a mulberry tree. So here's point two, a mustard seed of faith. So in, in Matthew 13, 31, Jesus tells us the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, that when Somebody believes the gospel right at the beginning. It comes in like a mustard seed. It is very, very small, but it's also very powerful. Right up front, the gospel is that God loves me, that Jesus died on a cross for my sins, and that when I put my trust in him, all of my sins can be washed away. And this is, this is right up front. This is how Christianity begins. And in the power of that, that little mustard seed, you can say to all of your bitterness, all of your anger, all of your self-pity, every, every sin that you've committed in that, you can say as God has forgiven me, now I cast all of my bitterness and all of my unforgiveness and all of my anger and all my self-pity into the sea. And that which was defiling you, defiling mankind, defiling all the soil and people around you, immediately 
goes into the sea, and of course, nothing can take root in the sea. It's the sea of God's love and forgiveness, that the gospel takes bitterness out of us and sends it into the sea. Which, and, and it's interesting because in, in one, at the bottom of the sea, you'd be better off being at the bottom of the sea under God's judgment. You would be there if you choose bitterness. Or your bitterness can be in the sea and you can be forgiven. Well, the disciples say this when Jesus says, if somebody sins against you seven times a day and repents, you have to keep forgiving him. This is not somebody did something wrong and forgive me. Somebody keeps doing something wrong and they keep asking for forgiveness and, and they're irritating, they're troubling, it's hard to know if they're really even sorry because they keep doing it, and Jesus says, yeah, you need to forgive them seven times a day. And the disciples say, increase our faith. I don't think I can do that. Not with my present faith, increase my faith. In, the, in that culture, in that religious culture, the Pharisees had a rule that you, for, you had to forgive people three times. Not three times a day, three times, period. Like, they do it once, they do it twice, they do it three times, and now you have a right to hold on to that and to never trust that person, never have a right relationship with them because they are wicked. And so Jesus comes along and says, not just seven times, but seven times a day. And they're like, increase our faith. And then Jesus says these words, you don't need more faith. All you need to do is obey the gospel. You don't need more faith. You need more obedience. And he says there's enough power in just the beginning of faith to cast it all into the sea. A lot of times, the reason why it's so hard for us to forgive, it's just, they, I've been wrong. I've been hurt. And, and it's so hard is, is we, we don't grasp our own sins. We spend a lot of time thinking about how we've been hurt. But think about how you have sinned against other people. Think about how your anger, your outlash, not only affected that person, but then made them bitter. And then they went out and spread the, the root system of bitterness and all the, the sin that gets repeated because of you, the, your hurt, your neglect, your abuse. Now that got multiplied again and again and again and again and again. And Jesus says, in the gospel, in this little powerful beginning that's called a mustard seed, you get forgiven of everything that you have ever done and everything you've ever cost. And now, part of getting a new beginning yourself is you've got to give the rest of the human race a new beginning. And Jesus says there's enough power so that you can just say, I forgive, I'm casting all of my bitterness, all of my stuff into the sea because of what Jesus has done for me. Huh, that sounds really easy. Point three, this is what it means to be a Christian. So what is this thing with the servant that goes into the field and comes back and he doesn't make dinner and he, nobody makes dinner for him and, and then even after he does that, nobody thanks him, he doesn't look for a thank you. He, he says, I'm unworthy, I only did what I was told to do. Well, the NIV kind of makes it sound a little better because it uses the word servant. It's actually the word slave. This is the picture of a Roman slave that has absolutely no rights. So they worked all day. 
They come in, they don't have a right to now just sit down and relax. No, they make the dinner, and then after they make dinner, they say this, I only did, no one owes me anything. This, I've already given up my right, my right, I don't have any rights, and so I've only obeyed. And here's what Jesus is saying. Christians are slaves to forgiveness. That Christianity, in its essence, is about forgiveness. It's about you being forgiven and you forgiving. And he says, you don't get extra credit for forgiving people. There's going to be no special prize for you for forgiving people. This is what Christianity is. It is a different seed. The seed of the world is bitterness and unforgiveness, and it, and it goes down, it is a root, and it poisons everything. Jesus came to start a different tree, this mustard seed that comes, and it is forgiveness. I am going to win the world. I'm going to change. I'm going to transform the world through forgiveness. So you are going to be forgiven, and then it will be your duty as a Christian to bring my forgiveness everywhere and to forgive everybody that is around you, everybody that's hurt you, and then you're part of this mustard tree. And he goes on in Matthew 13 to say that this mustard seed grows into a, a tree. It starts out really small, but it grows to be the biggest tree in the garden, and its branches are huge. And, and so animals can come and find shade, and other animals can come and nest in it, and it becomes this tree of redemption. You can become a person of redemption. You can have a family of redemption. You can have a church of redemption as you let forgiveness do its powerful, powerful work. This is absolutely foundational to what the gospel is. So here's the Lord's Prayer. This is Matthew 6. Pray this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then after the thing is over, in verse 15, he says this, for if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is like, this is what I have come. It's a revolution. I have come to revolutionize the planet through my people, and it's going to be through forgiveness. And you're going to be the one that brings it. It is foundational to Christianity. So, how does it work? Does that mean I earn forgiveness by forgiving? No, 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 no. You have to be forgiven first. Being forgiven comes first. This is Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So, first you get forgiven, and then God will call you on your unforgiveness. And he will make you choose between your bitterness and being a Christian. So, I had, we had a young lady, got marvelously saved, went through some deliverance, uh, was growing in Christ. She sat next to Alice almost every week and just growing, growing, growing. And then we had one meeting where she told me she could never forgive, forgive her ex-husband. And I'm like, honey, uh, you have to forgive your ex-husband. You don't have to remarry him, but you do have to forgive him. And she's like, you are mean. And I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to see. 
your problem isn't with your ex-husband, it's actually with Jesus. This is what the gospel is. You can't stay saved and stay bitter. That it do, it, it's not going to work. And so she left the church because I'm mean. Now, I don't know where she is now. I, I believe God that somehow she's saved now and got through that, but whatever. This is not optional. This, this is the revolution that Jesus came to bring. So years ago now, we had a couple, couple guys on our staff that I told them to work together. They were having trouble working together and coming in and, and I'm like, guys, listen, listen to me. If you guys can't love each other, if you can't forgive each other and make room for each other, then let's close the church. There, there is no message. This is the message. The church doesn't become what we tell them to become. They become what we are. This is, this is the most important part of your job is getting along with each other. Not preaching, not doing this, not doing that. You've got to actually be Christians. Why? Because God's raising up a culture that heals. A culture that it's crazy. It uproots the bitterness of our culture. It, it, it uproots the poison. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. So he raises up all kinds of offense and gets even God's people operating in anger and self-pity and tries to poison churches. He tries to poison families. He tries to poison marriages. He's really, really good at what he does. All right, so let's look at Four points around, around this. Number one, Jesus always wants us to forgive and pursue restoration of relationships. So all we have in, in Luke's gospel is pursuing a restoration of relationship that if they repent and ask your forgiveness, then you, the relationship is restored and that's all he talks about is is you forgive when they ask you for forgiveness and they repent, that is when a relationship is restored. But before that, it, it sounds there like it, you don't have to forgive if they're not sorry or if they didn't repent. That's not true. The gospel requires us to forgive no matter what their response is. This is Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone... Forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Notice, no one has to be sorry. No one has to say, no one has to repent. You just, here's your obligation as a Christian, forgive. It's, it's what you signed up for. No extra credit, no special reward. This is what being a Christian means. So you forgive. If you wait until somebody's sorry to forgive them or wait until they repent, let me tell you something. You'll never forgive them. Why? You're not sorry enough. C crawl. I want tears. Those are fake. I mean, you're never going to forgive them. Repent. Uh, how do you know if they repented? How, how, long do they have, how long do they have to prove to you? It, it's just not going to happen that way. You, you, you forgive them because Jesus forgave you, period. Of your great amount of sins, you forgive them. 
Okay. If they re- repent and ask forgiveness, then trust has started to be restored. This is a restored relationship. This should always be the goal, especially between brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It should always be, if we're real Christians, restoration is always our goal, and we're going to persevere. If it takes seven times a day, you irritate me, you bug me, you bother me, we're going to do this seven times a day. Matthew's gospel says, do it in private. You go privately. You say, this is what you're doing. This is what you keep doing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Da, 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 da. And, and persevere persevere to make things right, because that's God's plan for this redemptive community. Number three, if they don't repent or ask forgiveness, you still have to do your part. So here's Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Has anyone noticed that you can't make choices for other people. The only side of a relationship that you control is your own side. And Jesus says, as part of your worship to me, you do your part to make peace. You forgive them and you lower the drawbridge down from the castle. When we get hurt, we bring the drawbridge up. Nobody's going to hurt me again. Jesus said, part of forgiveness is you lowering that drawbridge and, will, for, for, and you're willing to build trust again. Well, here's what's going on in our culture right now. If you don't agree with me, you hate me. And because you hate me, Not only do I have a right, I actually have a responsibility to reject you. So, whoop, my drawbridge goes up, and I, you are now out of my life because you hate me, because you don't agree with me, and it's called cancel culture. I have a right to cancel you. Now, here's the bad news for the church. You don't have a right to cancel anybody. You don't get to put your drawbridge up and say, I'm going to go without that person in my life. I am canceling that person. They disagree with me. They're they're bad for America. They're bad for me. They're bad for everybody. I cancel that person. Sorry, you don't get to do that and be a Christian. So if their drawbridge goes up, your drawbridge has to still be open where they could come across it again. They have canceled you. They have told you, I don't want you in my life. And God tells you, yeah, I know know they did all that. Send them an email. Tell them you're thinking about them and you're praying for them. But God, they've canceled me. Has anybody noticed that God doesn't like give suggestions? He just gives commands. If God tells you to put, put the drawbridge on, you better put the drawbridge on. I want them to know that you are not the one that ended this relationship they did. I want, I, want, I want them to know that. That you are, you are part. What does it mean to do your part? As far as it depends on you. It means own your own sins, confess your own sins, be humble, and be willing. You forgive them up front, but also be willing to make it, make it right again. So here's what happens Sunday night. We're in the middle of worshiping and waiting. The presence of God is all over this place. The worship is going very deep, and I am just so hesitant to come up and say anything. We're just in God's presence, but this, it comes so strong again and again. And so finally, I come up, 
And I sit on the platform. And I just said these words. I said, there's guys, I said, there's somebody here. I said, maybe it's a couple of you. But what's going on is you are misunderstood. And no matter how hard you've tried to explain yourself, you are misunderstood. It might be a spouse, it might be a family member, it might be a work person, an employer, but you are being misunderstood and you can't make it right. And Jesus is inviting you to come and embrace the cross. The Bible says that I might know him, this is Philippians 3.10, in the power of his resurrection, which we all want to experience, the power of his resurrection, and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Did you know that Jesus was misunderstood? His mission was misunderstood? Almost every time he said something, he was misunderstood. So when you're misunderstood, you, you, you are fellowshipping with Jesus' sufferings if you lay it down at his feet. Say, Jesus, what a privilege to suffer in the same way that you suffered. I said, there's an idol that has to be laid down when you're gonna embrace this being misunderstood. And the idol is called the fear of man. The idol is called wanting everybody to like you, wanting to fit in, wanting wanting everybody to know you and and be your friend. You have to lay that down for Jesus' sake. I said, I said, I I don't know how many, maybe just a few, but I want to pray for you. And so we're gonna continue worship. You come down to the front and I'll pray for you. Guys, what happened next was stunning. It wasn't one or two. The whole altar was filled. People were from one side of the other, and so several of the pastors came down and started praying for people, and and I I prayed for people, and over a couple people, I had the same thing, and I thought, this is such a great way to think about this. The reason why you're not understood, the reason why you don't seem to fit in this world is because you're not from this world. You're a citizen of heaven. You fit perfectly with heaven. But when you're walking with heaven, you don't fit good down here. And you're going to be misunderstood. And that's just, you got to just lay that down. And it's just like, Jesus, it's okay. People don't have to understand me. They don't have to figure me out. I don't have to get everybody to agree with me and the way I'm looking at things. I can suffer by being misunderstood. And so I think it was a very meaningful night, and I think the the worship that was expressed through that was just very, very meaningful to God. So, on the strength of this mustard seed of faith of God forgiving me, I now can lay down my right to be angry and bitter, and I can just say bitterness, be uprooted, and go into the sea. And that sounds, it sounds kind of easy. And honestly, we're going to do it today. Up front, it actually is easy. Here's what's difficult, is, is staying free. So it turns out, when you have been really hurt, now this is even harder if you're a tender person. Tender people tend to get really badly hurt. It is very easy to get re-embittered. So 
we went through a horrible experience in my first place where I was a lead pastor. There was a group of people trying to get us out of the church and having secret meetings. And it was just very, very painful. And when we went to our next church, I just made sure that I had forgiven all that and all that was forgiven and all of that's behind us and we're ready to do the new church because you don't want to drag the, the pain of the old church into the new church. And so careful to do that. But then I was... I had to go back to the old church for a, a funeral, and I'm on my way there, and all of a sudden, this pain gets awakened, but it's not towards my enemies that were trying to get me out, it's, it's against my friends. I, I'm, I'm actually going to meet a friend for breakfast before the funeral, and it's about my friends. It's about my friends chose to keep the church together rather than stand by me against the power brokers that were trying to get me out. Instead of exercising courage and loyalty, they just kind of stayed on the sideline and let, let them do whatever they wanted to do. And, and this whole thing about poor me became so strong and and. And I, once I got there and I got, to, it was my best friend there to breakfast, I was just so filled with bitterness and poison. And I let him have it. And I told him what I thought. It was, it was horrible. There was no one more for me than this guy. And here I am just pouring out poison on him. And I'm on my way back and I'm like, dear Jesus, what happened? And then I saw it. I saw that because I was wounded and the wound wasn't healed yet, the enemy could re-embitter me. He could, he could take me down. He could just touch that wound. And doesn't the enemy have a way of retouching that wound that you forgave? You dealt with that church, and now you see somebody that reminds me of them, or you see them, or they got a, this or that, or something happens that's similar to that. And this is oftentimes what's going on in a marriage. You're not dealing with your actual spouse. You're dealing with their last boyfriend. And, and you say something, and now you, you get all the pain that somebody else caused and it's all out there because the enemy's very good at re-embittering people. And then the lie comes. Here's the lie. You never forgave. The reason why is because you never forgave. No, you forgave. Forgiveness is a, is a, is a choice. Forgiveness is something you do with your will as worship to God. Healing takes time. Healing takes time. And so until you are healed of that wound, you got to watch really careful over your heart. Jesus says, watch yourselves. One, God, one translation says, pay attention to yourselves. Because this thing is creeping. The enemy wants to stop the revolution of forgiveness. He wants to repoison you. His favorite thing is to poison the church to get the church operating in bitterness. So the very community that's supposed to bring his redemption is just as poisoned as the world. And it, 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 it embitters people. Oh my. When, when you see politics in the world, you say, well, that's the world. When you see politics in church, it damages people. It damages people. So the enemy works to re re-embitter us. So, so here's what Jesus said. This is, this is Matthew 6, 11 and 12. Look at this. Give us today our daily, daily, daily bread. So this is a prayer 
that you're praying every single day. Now look at this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is called arming yourself with forgiveness. This is like, I am, if somebody sins against me today, I'm gonna remember I'm forgiven and that I forgive them. I'm, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. Now, it's really important to make a distinction between forgiveness and trust. God does not command you. Forgiveness is the will and you choose to do it. Trust is of the heart and you can't force yourself to trust somebody. When somebody sins against you, when they betray you, when they hurt you, trust is broken. And so I can forgive them and not trust them. However, forgiveness for it to be real has to give away that trust could be regained. When you first get hurt, the drawbridge comes up and you, you are not going to trust them. You're absolutely not going to trust them. You make a firm boundary. They are abusive. They are, I am not going to let them hurt me again. I'm putting, I'm bringing the drawbridge up. Nope, not doing it. Nope, not doing it. So God comes in and he starts healing us and he starts speaking to us and he starts, and, and then he will say, he will never say, put the drawbridge back down and let them drive over you again. That's not, that's not what he does. Here's what he'll say. Uh, you are healed enough to put a footbridge down. Don't let them drive in over this thing. Just send a little path and give them a way that they could, you could start trusting them again. How, do, how does this work? What does that little path mean? Well, I've been with families that are so abusive to each other, that, have, that are so mean to each other, that sarcasm and attacks on the spouse, it's just a disaster. I said, well, here's how you start. 15 minutes at a coffee shop. Mom, you want to meet? You want to have a, I do want to have a relationship, and I do, I do value our relationship, and I absolutely have forgiven you, but we're going to start with 15 minutes at a coffee shop, and if you can do good for 15 minutes and not accuse my spouse, not belittle me, not bring up things about, then 15 minutes could become 30 minutes next time. Why a coffee shop? You don't want to do it at their house. And you certainly don't want to do it at your house because it's really hard to get them out. And then the abuse just keeps going. So you start at a coffee shop. You start at a neutral setting and you are, what are you saying? I value you. You've hurt me. (laughs) You've been mean, you've been abusive, but here's a little path. And well, what, if they, what if they sin again in the 15 minutes? The next time it's 10 minutes. <laughs> well, what are you trying to do? We're trying to make a positive encounter. We're trying to put a deposit in this relationship that is not poisonous. And we will start as small as well. Well, I, doesn't God want a full restored relationship? Yeah, he does, but on this side of heaven, a lot of your relationships will never be fully restored. Sorry. Thank God for heaven. But God wants them restored as much as possible in this life. Here's the coolest thing. The enemy's plan to kill, steal, and destroy all is around these roots of bitterness and poison so that he can multiply sin and get bitter people defiling others and everybody's soil and everybody's foundations get shattered. Here's here's the cool thing. God says, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm doing a revolution of forgiveness. 
you are going to experience my gospel. You're going to experience my forgiveness. And then, and the power of that, you're going to just speak. You're going to speak in all of your bitterness. Everything the enemy's done is going out to the sea. And I'm going to make you this mustard seed, a tree with branches. The enemy's roots go down. It's in darkness. My branches go up. Everybody will see it. Everybody will feel welcome. It will change the whole world. This is the revolution that you and I are part of.